Hi, thanks for joining us this Good Friday. Whether you're in your neighborhood group or it's just you and those in your house, or it's just you in this video, in this guide, I'm glad that you're creating some space to come and behold the mystery and victory of the cross. I'm gonna share a few thoughts, then Kelly is going to share a song, and I hope that you have the guide that you can read and reflect and pray through in these moments on this Good Friday. If you've been following along with the Lenten devotional from Brian Zond called The Unvarnished Jesus, today's reading would take us through the lengthy account in Luke of the crucifixion. I want to read just a part of that beginning in Luke 23, verse 32. Look with me there. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, that's Jesus, to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. There are at least four groups of people looking to Jesus at the cross. The first is the people that gathered to see this horrific spectacle. They were probably just trying to take it all in, all the suffering and all the pain. There was the people that were looking to Jesus at the cross. The second group is the rulers that were told sneered at him. If you're God's Messiah, save yourself. Then you have the soldiers who were looking and mocking as well. Hey, this is their king. And they put that mocking placard on the cross beam. This is the king of the Jews. The people standing in wonder. The ruler standing and sneering. And the soldiers standing and mocking. I told you there were four though. That fourth group looking to Jesus in the cross is us. What do we look and see after 2,000 years of reflection upon this central event in our Christian faith. I know one person that I met years ago in Montreal, Canada. When she looked to the cross, she saw ugliness. She said, it's so gothic and sad and violent. She was an atheist. She wanted nothing to do with the church. And her words were ringing in my ears one afternoon years later when I was sitting in an empty Catholic church here in the area. I was thinking about how gothic she called it. As I was looking at the crucifix there, high and lifted up on the front and center place above the altar. <clears throat> and I thought, yeah, that's pretty brutal. This particular crucifix had bright red paint from the wounds which was piercing his forever painted and, in, and uh, fixed place on the cross in this church. But as I kept looking, and maybe it's because I'm preaching this 
series on an unvarnished Jesus, I'll use this phrase, it was like a varnish was removed. I didn't miss the suffering, but I was able to look beneath it. And what I saw when I looked to Jesus on the cross that afternoon, and frankly, what I see ever since, is not just suffering, but the clearest expression of divine love radiating out into a dark world, drawing a dark world back to himself in forgiveness, grace, and love. What I see beneath the suffering, not ignoring the suffering and horror of the cross, we are never to do that, but to hold it in tension with a beauty and grace that rescues the world. There are multiple meanings on the cross. There's not just one meaning, so we have to keep looking, keep beholding until we see love at the center. Kelly's going to share a song, and the traditional line that we'll sing at one point is, it was our sin that held him there, and that's true. There's something of the suffering and sacrificial death that Jesus had to go to work against our sin. But the line that she'll sing is another line that says, it was his love that held him there. There was something that the Trinity had purposed in their heart from before the foundation or creation of the world, as they say in Revelation 13. This is the lamb slain before the creation of the world. Sin, death, and evil were not a surprise to God. So God had always purposed to free us and forgive us. So if there's this many meanings, suffering, love, sin, and love, understand that the cross accomplishes at least two things. The first is that he freed us from our darker, deeper enemies of sin, death, and evil. The second is that he forgave us from the darkness within. You know, when we began in Ash Wednesday with Jesus' prediction, the disciples didn't want anything to do with it. They had a lot of varnishes. They had a lot of expectations. They were not here for it. They wanted him to go to work with the flesh and blood enemies that oppressed them in that current moment. But what they didn't understand is that any kind of revolution that looked like every other revolution would be short-lived. So what Jesus was doing at the cross, at his enthronement as king, was to go to work with the deeper, darker enemies of sin, death, and evil. When we send all of our sins into the suffering Savior, he turns his cheek and forgives and frees us from the tyranny of sin. He frees us from the tyranny of death by dying and then ultimately showing his victory on Easter Sunday. But there's something also about how we needed to be uprooted and the ruler of this world would be kicked out. John says that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Again, elsewhere in Revelation chapter 5, he was slain so that he could redeem and ransom us back. Every tribe, every tongue. He freed us. He forgave us. You see, there was this idea that Brian Zond has elsewhere of an eternal moment of forgiveness. That's another paradox. Eternal and moment. There was something happening at the cross where Jesus accomplished not just forgive them, as in those people that were killing him, not just forgive now this particular act, 
There was something eternal that happened as we reflected back on 2,000 years of this seminal, singular event. There was an eternal moment where every sin past was dealt with and forgiven. Every sin that would be in the future dealt with and forgiven. An eternal moment of the Father's heart revealing grace and love. I love how Gerald O'Collins put it as he invites us to keep looking until we see that forgiveness and freedom. He says, while we look for him among priests, he's among sinners. While we look for him among the free, he is a prisoner. While we look for him in glory, there he is bleeding on the cross. The irony and scandal of the cross, if you were to keep seeing until you behold it, is that this is the clearest revelation of who God is. A God who experiences rejection, pain, and death, but also reveals an ever-expanding, ever-deepening expression of love to come and behold. Because if you were to come and behold today, you would see that the cross is where the sin of the world collides with the love of God and the love of God triumphs. You would see that when we pierced love, he bleeds grace. And this love forgives freeze and triumphs over sin, death, and evil. That's what I hope that you'll see in these moments of listening, seeing, praying, reflecting, and even now hearing this song. May we see beneath the suffering a love that is inviting you to come and find forgiveness and freedom in Jesus, the crucified King. Amen. I know that it
你。